Okay, brothers and sisters, welcome to another sacrament meeting. We are once again joined by Samuel the Lamanite. This time he's going to tell us uh, some of his stories about uh, while his father was a mission president and also some of the crazy stories while he was preaching to the, the infidel Lamanites on his mission in Colombia. So, uh, Samuel, which where do you want to start with uh, when your dad we'll was start, a mission president? Yeah, we'll start or? with my dad as a mission president. So, okay. yes, I had the honor and privilege to join my family as we traveled to California, <laughs> where my dad served as a mission president. Um, so, yeah, while we were there, you know, I was a young kid, so I was homeschooled. So I kind of, all my, but both my other siblings, they went to the schools there, but I was homeschooled. So I got, I got, I was around everything all the time. So how did you get to be so lucky to be homeschooled? How old were I'd you? Be, um, I was... So I would have been in sixth to eighth grade. Those were the three years. So I was like 10, nine, like 10 to 13, I think. Okay. Yeah. So I was pretty young and um, I was homeschooled because it was California. My parents didn't want me to go to the middle schools there because I would learn <laughs> apostate things, I guess. <laughs> it didn't make any sense though, because my sister went to elementary school there. My brother went to high school there. So I don't know. I guess I was special. <laughs> so I remember we so I remember just being always around at home my dad was just always locked up in the office and on calls and um so I remember the first big scandal was an elder had disappeared for like 48 hours long times so everyone was freaking out <laughs> so I remember like this he was like he was just in the office the whole time just on phone calls with the assistants and other other elders and so come to find out these two elders had been planning this for a long time mm -hmm. they wanted to go watch the hunger games because it was coming out like the premiere so they planned like what they were going to do and who they were going to go with because i'm pretty sure it was four it was four missionaries living in a living in a an apartment and they weren't companions but it was like two two of them so they had to mm -hmm. split from their companions so they planned it they left like a night before. So when their companions woke up, like, oh, where'd they go? So, and they, they left everything. So it was a big deal. <laughs> so they kind of skipped town. They went to like another neighboring city, I guess. And mm -hmm. they, they spent the rest of the day just kind of hanging out while everyone else is freaking out. And my, yeah. my dad was thinking about like, do I call their parents and let them know like their kids are gone? <laughs> but I think my dad kind of knew what they were doing. He's like, I think they're just doing something dumb. Like I'm pretty sure we'll find them. Yeah. So come to find out, that these elders just kind of took a whole day to themselves to hang out. And at midnight, they went to watch Hunger Games and then they went back to their apartment. Like mm -hmm. nothing happened. And obviously, I think my dad had sent like the zone leaders there to pick them up. And he was like, well, just pack your things. You're going home. No. <laughs> and I think, and I was surprised because like, I feel like that's pretty mild. I guess when I was young, I didn't really know. But my dad's like, I think it was more of like the whole disappearing thing. Yeah. And he's like, get out of here he's like that yeah, was yeah. like I, mean, I remember him saying like it wasn't the problem was the movie he's like i don't care he's like if you disappear for a certain amount of time like you can't do that yeah and that's true and unfortunately like a mission president becomes the the legal guardian of like 115 or 150 like 20 year olds right yeah yeah uh-huh so <laughs> 
so that was one thing i also uh, this is another thing i remember being like because I, I was a young kid i was go, you know like going through puberty so i remember like always trying to talk to like the super attractive sisters right <laughs> yeah so and then i remember um they like they're not supposed to give hugs out but i remember mm-hmm. being like well i'm like the mission president's kid you can give me a hug <laughs> <laughs> So there was like, oh no, I was a little, I was a little playful, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, um, what was another story? Another story I remember. Um, this is always a weird one because I remember there was like this, there was like the super like charismatic elder, like super super cool. And then mm. I remember like my mom always being like, I have a bad feeling about him. Like he's too like flirty. Like he's always like super. I don't know. You know, like one of those elders that kind of doesn't really give a shit. Like. So I remember my mom always being like, he's too, like, I don't know, he's, like, so confident. He's always, like, flirting with the sister missionaries. My dad's like, right. that's not really that big of a deal. So yeah. come to find out, this elder was, um, because they were kind of, like, in a remote area where it was just him and his companion. So this elder yeah. would kind of just go out every weekend <laughs> with, like, yeah. different girls, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so, um he he would just go out and then he just made his companion like don't tell anybody mm-hmm. or or i'm gonna like i think he blackmailed him of something i don't remember what right but i think eventually when he went home that companion told my dad what happened and my dad was like what the, like what the hell <laughs> <laughs> and then um there was another time when there was this um there was this one elder and they were, well, I guess there's this companionship and they were teaching this one girl, you know, like very attractive, like college girl. And they were teaching him and it was like a huge thing. He's like, like, president, we really need to get her baptized before I leave and all this mm-hmm. stuff. And he's, my dad was saying like, eh, like, it's fine. Like she didn't get baptized, like really, no matter what, like, it's really not that big of a deal. And then I think like he gave him special permission. She, I think there was something like one of the requirements she didn't have. And my dad's like, you know what? Like, it's fine. Like you, you can baptize her before. Yeah. So he left. And then a month later, we go back to that ward. I think just to visit. And he's there like holding her hand. <laughs> and like, he was dating. still a missionary or he? No, no not oh, he, no, came was, home. He, he had like went home and like three weeks later yeah. came back for her. And my dad's and like, how, I knew there was some shit going down. How are those two doing now? Do you have any I don't idea? Know. I think they got married, though. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, a little extra time. The, yeah. Like, being on a mission, it's like, I remember there was a girl in one ward that I was in who was pretty attractive. But it's kind of like, she was the only attractive girl probably in the whole stake. Uh-huh. And it's kind of, it's like, you know what? She seems really great here, but back home, there's probably a hundred girls just like her. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, you're just, you're losing perspective because you're on your mission and, oh. and you don't really know what else is out there. And and you've had these goggles on and these blinders on for so long. You meet the first, uh, first interesting, attractive person. And you're like, oh, I got to marry her. Yeah. Even yeah. you get like sexually deprived when you're out there. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just know there were so many times, like, you know, like all the elders come in, all the missionaries come in and like my dad would have like their first interview. And mm-hmm. I remember, I think it was like once every single transfer, mind you, for people that don't know, that's like every six weeks, at least one person would be like, I don't want to be here. I want to go home. And then my mm-hmm. dad would have to be in charge of like, like what, like what the hell is this? Like what mess am yeah. I put in? Yeah. Where he would have to deal with like people like, I don't want to be here. Um, I don't know why I'm here. I want to go home right now. And he's like, 
shit. <laughs> so how would, would your dad try and convince guys to stay or would he just be like, okay, here's your plane ticket or my dad would be like, listen, you're here. Um, try it out. If you yeah. can't stand it, come back to me. We'll get you home. Mm-hmm. So my dad was pretty reasonable when he was in a good mood. Obviously, if you catch yeah. him in a bad mood, then he would get pissed off. Because I remember there was many times where we would be watching a movie, you know, trying to have family time, and they would mm-hmm. call late. And he's like, "Why are you calling me late?" He's like, mm-hmm. "Go, go to bed. Like I don't care." He's like, "My my companions being mean." He's like, "I don't want to talk. I don't want to hear about this." You know. <laughs> And then my mom, oh, my mom probably yeah. has better stories than my dad because she, I don't know why she chose this, but she chose to be in charge of like the health. So whenever missionaries were sick, they would like call her and text her. That was, I think that's just like part of being a mission president's wife. Cause I don't like my mission president's wife. That was where you had to start before you could call the doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's <laughs> just the job they get. <laughs> yeah. So my mom had to do that. God bless her. She had to come up with all the appointments and, I'm not shitting you. She would get texts like, um, sister, um, I threw up. Mm-hmm. Like, what do I do? Yeah. Or like, um, sister, um, my farts are really bad. Like, what do I do? And she's like, <laughs> what? Like, wait like, a couple sister, I have days. diarrhea. Like, what do I yeah. do? And my mom's yeah. like, do these kids not know what they're doing? <laughs> in, like, in some cases, they don't, right? Like, I know in our last episode, we were talking about how the mission isn't that much of a growing up experience as what it used to be uh, in most cases, but still, yeah, for some of these kids, it's like their first time dealing with a problem in their life. And they're like, Oh, I don't, I've got a fever. Mama's not here. So yeah. Am I going to die? I need to know. Mm-hmm. And then, and, and then I remember like elders would like faintly say, they'd be like, I can't understand your mom over the phone. Her accent's so thick. And my mom's like, what the, He's so dis- disrespectful and like blatant ignorance, you know. They'd say that like right to. They'd say that yeah. to who? Like you as a thirteen-year-old? No, like, no, to to me and my mom. They'd uh, say it to mom. your mom's face. Yes, they're like, I couldn't understand you at all when I first came here. But, but they're like, but your accent's gotten better. <laughs> oh my gosh! To the wow. So your dad was quite young to be a mission president. Oh yeah, he was very young. I think yeah. I don't remember how old he was, but like. My, I mean, my younger sister was like, she was like eight years old, nine years old when we mm-hmm. went. So yeah. we had like a whole family thing going on. But yeah. I just remember like there was like elders would get into fist fights and they were like, oh, president, I punched my companion. He punched me back. And my dad, I remember my dad just having to deal with like th- that type of bullshit. Like, what do you want yeah. to do? Yeah. <laughs> but I think like part of it, it seems because the church so tightly controls missionaries and and there's such a top-down authority structure it's like what do you mean you don't know how to solve your own problems and it's like well i'm supposed to run everything through the proper priesthood channels also i don't know if i'm going to hell or not until you tell me i'm absolved of my sins Mm -hmm. you know and so i can imagine mission presidents all over the world are quite frustrated because they have these kids who are like incapable of making decisions or thinking independently. And it's because of the situation they're put in and the mission president can't change the structure of missions in order to make these kids independent and free thinking without making the whole system collapse. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
it, it it's just weird because I, I, remember, I remember growing up and like that's obviously not like there's almost no kids that grow up in that type of environment where you just see a bunch mm-hmm. of like 21 year olds and 22 year olds that are completely helpless and yeah don't really know what to do and then my parents are basically like their guardians yeah <laughs> it's like whenever whatever little problems they have they would just have to talk to them and i remember mm-hmm. just thinking like is this like normal like is this like what being like a boss is like for a company where you had to like care this much and make sure that like, they don't kill each other or end up dying yeah but um yeah it's just really weird i remember um there was another time it was always scary when like when bad injuries would happen and like you know how it's on like the mission president to call the families so i remember mm-hmm. thankfully like no one ever died but like i remember that being like super like stressful I'm, like i was like is that really fair to put like that amount of stress on someone to be like hey like your son almost died. Like, I feel like it's like, right. like a church. Like, I know like, I technically my dad was the church representative that's calling out, but like, still that's like, I would never sign up for that. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I agree. Cause normally if you're working a normal job and you get hurt on the job, you would just call your family. But because the church so tightly controls everything, it's like, okay, great. I need to be the middleman between 150 20 year olds and their parents. Yeah, so they can get yelled at instead of the kids. Yeah, exactly. So did your dad have to deal with some crazy parents as well? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, being like, my son is suffering and all this stuff. And he's like, mm-hmm. well, he hasn't told me anything. Come to find out that he's the son's completely lying or the daughter was completely lying. Like, my daughter was shot at. This is, what, this is another crazy story. Like, mm-hmm. my daughter just told me that they were shot at and they need to not be in that area because they're going to get raped. And my dad was like, you know, that's a very serious situation. Mm-hmm. So my dad's like, oh, like, okay, I will let's well, go check to check that. So he sends like the two assistants or whatever at that time to go and check what happened. And they're like, oh, like nothing happened. Like, I think it was like, we just had some neighbors doing fireworks. And um, like we told our, we told like our parents, we thought it was like gunshots. And like, obviously that wasn't what happened, but mm-hmm. he just had to deal with stuff like that with just parents listening to their kids, but you know, like when the kids, when people are on missions, they're like, oh, they're like when something sucks, they'll tell their parents and the parents will just call their mission president and be like, why is, why is my kid not happy? Mm-hmm. You know, I remember getting told in a zone conference or something like that, be careful what you write home about your struggles and stuff like that, because a head cold can become pneumonia by the time it gets across the Atlantic. Yeah. And uh, like, this was when email like church approved email as a missionary was becoming a new thing, relatively new. Mm-hmm. So most of our communication with home was still like snail mail letters. And so it's the way they sold it was like, you don't want to write a letter to your mom. That's going to take a week or 10 days to get to her telling her about how you're sick. When by the time she opens the letter, you won't be sick anymore. But now like based on the stories you're saying, it's more like the mission president, the mission president's wife are like, don't tell your parents how hard your life is because I don't want to deal with a bunch of angry parents. Yeah, <laughs> yeah basically. It yeah. really is just that. And it was always weird because like, like you could tell like there were some missionaries that like wanted to like kind of like kiss ass to my dad because they would like get his hair cut and like get the type of ties he wore and like try to talk like him. Okay. And it was just so weird, like growing up in that type of environment. And, and then obviously there was missionaries who didn't like my dad at all. So they would like do things on purpose to piss him off. It's such a weird place. Have to you got any up. stories about missionaries who purposely tried to piss off your dad? Um, 
I remember like we, there was an apostle visiting and there was this one elder who brought like a blanket and like a pillow and a bunch of snacks. <laughs> and my oh, dad's man. like, elder, get rid of that right now. You know, like trying yeah. to be his way of like, I will beat your ass if you like mm-hmm. bring all that in. Embarrass me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there was, st- there was stuff like that or like, it was more like in private interviews. They would like call him out, like kind of like on stuff that he was doing bad. But I think that was like, that's one of the more memorable ones. <laughs> mm-hmm. Man. And then we had, this... oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. You go ahead. We just had one elder who was like really, he was boisterous and kind of like he'd hug everybody. He was this big guy and he was really loud and he'd like hug everybody. So we had Dallin Oaks come and, uh, everybody gets to go shake their hands with Dallin Oaks and our mission president standing beside him. And, uh, and just as this elder goes up to Dallin Oaks, gives him a big like bear hug, you know, and our mission president's like shaking his head, like, Oh my gosh. But we all knew it was coming. Right. We all, yeah. nobody was surprised, but uh, yeah. Yeah. That, 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 yeah. It was for sure stuff like that. Cause like my dad's a pretty small dude. So like mm-hmm. all like the big body elders like well they would like lift him up when they would hug him like, <laughs> they, they would kind of embarrass him. I can like imagine that. that would piss off your dad. Yeah, piss yeah, off anybody. Yeah. He would yeah. get pissed off. And then I think there was this one time. I think and there was a, bu- a bunch of elders would disappear. So there was this one elder. He lived like thirty minutes away, like driving mm-hmm. from the mission home, and he walked for like I don't know how long, but he walked to the mission home like knocked on the door and just sat there and like we weren't at home at the time because we were living like we were about to leave so they're like renovating the home and we were living like super nice like hotels because the church paid for it you know yeah yeah so we had to go back to pick something up and my dad's like what in the world and he's just sitting on the floor just outside of the house my dad's like gets out of the car starts screaming at him he's like what are you doing out here yeah yeah (laughs) <laughs> it's like what is going on yeah have you got any any other uh any other really memorable stories that stand out from your dad dad's I time before we have, jump into your mission yeah i have one more so there was yeah. this one time where i think my dad was just in the meeting and this elder kept calling him so he finally answers the elder's like bawling crying he's like what's happening he's like i'm in the bathroom of a member's house because my companion and the members are making fun of my haircut. And he's like, what? He's like, yeah, he's like just sobbing. My dad's like, Oh gosh. Like, uh, <laughs> I don't know what to do. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Like, so like, how did these, how did these experience, did they change or shape your view of missions and missionaries? Oh, yeah. Cause I grew up think, you know, how most people like grow up in the church, like missionaries are, they're strong, independent people who are warriors but me yeah. growing up, I'm like, these missionaries are, like, soft. Like, they're kids. They're kids. Yeah. I don't blame them for, like, stuff they do. They're kids. They don't really know any better. Mm-hmm. But still, after seeing all that, you still wanted to be a missionary. Yeah. I, it looked – I mean, some because I remember, like, being friends with some of the missionaries. Some of them were so cool. I mean, I was, like, 13 or – I was really young. I'm like, they're my heroes, you know? Yeah. They're super like, charismatic and super talkative, not afraid. And I, I like that. I like, I like people who are not afraid to talk. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I decided to go on a mission. And then, obviously, in, in Colombia, when I, when I first got um, 
called to go there. I remember people, the first thing that people mouths in America were like, oh, that's a lot of, that's drug land, you know? Like, you need to be yeah. careful. Like, everyone yeah. going out to my mom, like, your son needs to be careful. Like, they're going to shoot him and kidnap him and, like, rape him yeah. and all this stuff. <laughs> did and you remember, go, which, which, uh, which part of Colombia did you go to? Um, I went to the coast, um, Barranquilla. Right, right. The, yeah, the coastal. And that's I remember, where Sofia like, Vergara is from, right? Yeah, and Shakira. Right, okay. Yeah. They're both from there. So I remember when people would say that to me, I'd be like, that's so insensitive and fucked up to say, like, you're going to the land of, like, the poor. And I remember mm-hmm. there's this one guy in our ward. He's like, you're going to a, a very apostate land. Like, be careful. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? So, like, what did you find when you actually got there? Was there a lot of – were you in some rough neighborhoods? Was it – Yeah, of course, of course. But, yeah. I mean – I love Colombia. I want to go back so bad. The people there are so kind. I think for me, instead of treating it like a mission, I'm like, this is a new culture. You know, I can finally, mm-hmm. um, like, like my Spanish can get better. And like, I just love people from different cultures, especially from Latino culture, because that's where all my, my family's from. So it was, it was really cool. Mm-hmm. So I never really viewed it as a mission per se. I always viewed it as like, this is an opportunity to live in a different part of the world. And I get to learn another language. But I remember being like, there was a bunch of like elders who were very like particular about their diet. And they're like, mm-hmm. oh, I just can't eat rice. Or I can't eat this food. And like, remember, we're living with people who like, that's all they eat. Yeah. Like, you can't really expect them to like go and spend the money that the church, like the little money that the church gives them to give you like a steak and like potatoes and all Absolutely. this stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. So I remember that, like, I remember that always pissing me off, like, kind of like the entitled Americans being like, well, I can't eat this food. Like, I can't eat that. Mm -hmm. And then, like I kind of said before, like all the, some Americans, they would get like special treatment. They're like, well, I'm like an athlete and I need to be on a special diet. So they would like specifically move these elders to like a place that was like richer. So they would have access to this stuff. And they would like tell the people that would cook for them, like, hey, um, yeah, you need to give them this food, not the other food. Like the, members, like, like the members in the ward who are free. I can't believe that. Yeah. And and that's another thing that always pissed me off too because it was like always I, – I guess it makes sense because the church doesn't really want to give money to people that weren't members. But I remember there was always like special occasions where like there was these people like, oh, yeah, like we're not members. But like we we're just friends with the missionaries for so long so the church will give us money. And those people are always like really, really kind. Because I'm like, yeah. I'm like they're probably stealing half of it, but who cares, you know? Yeah. But um, but it, it's weird seeing the church in like a different part of the world too. Because at least in South America, it was very like it's very not much like here in North America. I think people are a lot more accepting, you know, because there's a bunch of like create kind of not crazier stuff, but like pe- members would be more inclined to have like abortions and have sex when they were younger, and the bishops were kind of more just like yeah, like it's really natural to grow up here. So that was yeah. kind of cool to see, like, a different perspective. Like, they were facing up other problems. Mm-hmm. But um, I remember there was, like, <laughs> these elders who were who, – I don't know how they got away with it. But there was, like, this elder who, like, would stick a camera in, like, the apartment below him to see, like, this girl, like, taking a shower or whatever. And I'm like, that's, like, criminal behavior, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, like, I guess our mission president, like, took care of it and was like, yeah, like, this doesn't go out to anyone. Because the girl, like, reported and everything to the police and all this stuff. And, like, if she had found out that it was, like, someone from a different country doing that, it's a huge deal. But, like, 
he stayed on his mission. I don't know how. And other people, other missionaries who would do like other kind of dumb shit, like that wasn't really a big deal. They would get sent home. So that always kind of confused me too. What kind of things did you see people get sent home for? So there's this, I, I remember people would always get sent home. Like if they like went out for a night or like kissed a girl or something like that, you know? <laughs> so like, so I remember they would go home a lot for that type of stuff. Yeah. But then they would just come back or like, they, they're like, Oh, this elder's depressed and he has anxiety. Let's we'll send him home for a couple months and he'll come back. Yeah. I was like, okay, that makes sense. But then you have like elders who are like committing like sexual, <laughs> not a sexual like assault. Voyeur, but voyeur, voyeurism and, and the church just covering it up and keeping the guy home. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. that's really not okay. Did they, uh, did like the women throw themselves at you? That's what I hear about. Like uh, some um, of these foreign missions is the elders so, just get mobbed <laughs> trying to get anchor babies or, you know? Yeah. So is, yeah. That a, is that a reality or, or a myth? Yeah. So I was, when I was, it's always funny because when you're like with Latino companions, like they don't really care. They're like, Oh, like it's just a bunch of like people talking about God. But when you, they see Americans, it's like, Oh, Americans, you know? So like we would use that to our advantage to talk to them. And I had this one companion who was like blonde. He was like an athlete in high school. So of course, yeah. like everyone, there's definitely a lot of people converting for the elder, you know? Mm-hmm. But um, I remember we walked around this place and there was a bunch of prostitutes and they, they saw us. They were kind of like catcalling us. And I was kind of laughing, like kind of playing it along. And I remember the mm-hmm. people I was with being like, hey, like, that's not okay. Oh, they're like, that's that's Satan at work. I'm like, it's funny. <laughs> like, like, it's right. fine. It's not that yeah. big of a deal. <laughs> but um, But yeah, that did happen for sure. I think it was worse for sister missionaries, though. Because we didn't, we weren't allowed to have any American oh, okay. sisters there, and like people would like cat yeah. call them and all this stuff. So I felt really bad for them, and I was like, "Do you ever bring that up to like the mission president and all this stuff?" And they're like, "Oh, it's just kind of like part of living here." I'm like, "That's not like cool." Not yeah, yeah. Like and I, I know I don't there've think... been. A... Sorry, sorry. What are you gonna say? Well, there there was a, a Mormon stories where they interviewed two sister missionaries who had been. Uh, sexually assaulted or raped on their missions mm-hmm. uh, in South America and not really warned about the neighborhood and the church didn't really do a lot for aftercare. I think these sister missionaries had to pay out of pocket for counseling um, in recovery after their missions, you know? Um, and I think the part like no warning from the mission president or anybody mm-hmm. else about bad parts of town or places to avoid or how to be streetwise um, so that you don't accidentally, do you know what I mean? Cause I think when you, when you come from a land of quote unquote, peace and prosperity, you might be a little less wary and a, a little more naive, right? So you can find yourself in a situation where you're like, oh, this person just needs help with his groceries. Oh, and he's beating me over the head. And now I'm locked in the back of his van and you know what yeah. I mean? Uh-huh. <laughs> no, yeah, for sure. Um, there's another big scandal. Um, I was in a ward with these two sister missionaries and one of them, I think one of them specifically, they had like a stalker, like it was getting really bad now, like following her in church, right. writing all these letters. So in her response, cause she was, um, you know, she was South American, like all the sisters were. So she was talking to the bishop about it first, you know? And to me, I'm like, yeah, that would make sense. Right. Cause he's the person that's actually in the area and knows the area. So she mm-hmm. talked to him first and was saying like, Hey, um, 
like I've talked to the mission president about this stuff and he doesn't really do anything. Could you please talk to him? Cause he's not really listening to us. Mm-hmm. So our Bishop, he goes and tells the mission president and the mission president gets pissed at him and like starts yelling at him. Like, why is your, why is my sister missionary telling you about this? He's like, well, cause you haven't really done anything and it's happening where I live. Mm-hmm. And they, I remember our mission president's like, well, you don't have the authority to do all this stuff. And then she like kind of yelled that he kind of got mad at the sister, but like the sister missionary got like, honestly, you haven't really done anything. Yeah. And I remember that being like a huge deal. Cause I'm like, I don't think, I, I don't think it's right that missionaries get put through like shit like that. And like, Oh, it's like trials and tribulations. Like, I'm sorry. I don't think that's good. Like, I don't think exactly. the Lord yeah. wants you to be like getting stalked and, getting like cat called on a daily basis and being called like, Hey, this is like trials of the mission. Like, no, it's not. No, that's yeah. Try doing that in any other job being like, well, ladies, um, sexual harassment's just here to toughen you up. (laughs) Like that's not going to fly anywhere else, but in a mission, it's like, Oh, you're suffering for the Lord. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think this is what he meant, but okay. (laughs) It's, well, you know, Peter got crucified upside down. So what are you complaining? Uh, I'm not like, I didn't sign up for that. Well, you know, in the temple covenant to laying down your life. So I need you to deal with this bullshit. Yeah. It's just now I'm looking more and more into it. It's like you have like, or, or it's like, like you have, you have a companion that's like, that's like degrading you as a human being or like complete like treating you like shit you know it's like well that's just how it is like if you tell me that i'm going to keep you guys together longer so you can learn to love each other like what right yes weird and messed up things like that um did you have elders in that kind of situation um oh yeah like i would say like like someone's getting bullied and they got forced to stay together or yeah so there is this one elder and 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 i'm pretty sure he had like mental problems but they guess the church wanted him to go on a mission and he like tried to kill his companion with a knife and i remember them just being like oh it's it's okay yeah. like you just make sure that you like take care of him and that you're nice to him he's like he tried to kill me because he thought i drank his milk like this isn't normal behavior yeah but they're just like right. you know what like elder if you tell me you don't want to be a companion i'm going to make sure you're with him for like six months yeah. Like that's not normal. That's not okay. Yeah, totally. The I hear some of these stories because my mission was so normal as far as missions go. Uh-huh. And so ordinary. Like we had a lot of rural followers. We we only had one person who got sent home early. Like very, very oh, just wow. that was it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nothing really um to complain about. No bullying. I know I've heard about bullying on missions. We didn't have any mission bullies. Mm-hmm. It was a very normal, relatively safe kind of mission. I was, I'm, I get very surprised when I hear these stories. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe because you're, you're on the mission, it sounds like a lot more scandalous than it is. But like, if you think about, it, like, we're in Colombia, like it's a country known for having very beautiful women, like. Mm-hmm. Of course, you're going to have some horny guy sleep with a girl, like, honestly. So how often how often were missionaries uh, sleeping around? And I think more often than people would let on. So yeah. I know for a fact that it happened a bunch of times. And I know that sometimes the elders would get sent back home and sometimes they wouldn't. It would just depend. 
And I always thought mm-hmm. that was really weird. Mm-hmm. But um, there is this... And there was always like special treatments too, because there were some elders who were like, well, they're, they're having some mental issues, so they can call home as much as they want to in a week. And then other people are like, no, you can't do that. Like you could just call home once, once a week and that's it. And I, I remember like always being like, that's so like weird. Yeah. But, um, but, but, but that was, that, that was, I think, I think at least where I was, it wasn't that common to go sleep around. But I know in other places in Colombia that happened very often, and sometimes they would send them home, and sometimes they wouldn't. But at least where I was, I don't remember that happening too often. It was more just like they're falling in love with their right. person they're teaching about. Yeah. But, Did you have any American elders who come back and marry a girl from uh, Colombia? Yeah, yeah. There was a bunch that they would go back. There was always a bunch. Um, there was, it's always funny because like in some of like the really rich wards, like kind of in the inner city, there was a bunch of like Americans mm-hmm. with like with Colombian wives. I'm like, oh yeah, these elders all came back and married their people. Right. Yeah. Wait. But it, it, it was just weird. It was like, another thing I didn't like about it was like, it was almost like manipulation because I feel like in America, you know, we live in a very different type of country. So you have people that um, are very educated and very... Um, I don't know, just you're teaching in your own language. But like when you're in another place, you kind of like almost manipulate these people who don't aren't as privileged as you. And it's super weird. Like what what kind of things did you do that you felt were manipulative? Well, I never really tried to do that because for me, it was always just like I I, I like to be friends with people. Like I don't care if they come to church. I like rather just go to their house and hang out for like two hours a day. But I remember there right, was these right. people being like, you know what, like when like these elders would share stories, like we were poor and like after we came to church, like we like, we, like my dad got a better job and like we, oh, we yeah. bless you that if you kept baptized, like all your financial needs will be like met and all this stuff. And, you know, like some of these people, you know, it's, it's just weird. I don't know how to explain it. It's just like you take advantage of people who are in like bad situations. Yeah. And, like they see an American teaching them. They're like, you know what, like maybe – like the church will pay for all my needs and all this stuff and take care of me. It's, it's just really weird. Did you, did you see the church actually help people in a humanitarian way or members of the church? No, like Bishop's no. storehouse? No, not really ever. I think like the most we ever did at a time was like clean up like the church buildings. That's all we would do. Or just, and, I mean uh, like the word, the word itself, like maybe not the missionaries, but the oh, word, the word itself. Did, like, when you when you brought these converts in who might be poor, oh, did no. you see them get help from the bishop's storehouse or they never did? It was only members like, and only like members that were active. You know, mm-hmm. they, I I never saw that ever happen once. Maybe it happened with other people, but I know for a fact I never saw that. So, like any of your new converts, didn't get a lot of help. No. And, 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 and it always felt bad because like there was times when like we would literally give them the clothes off our back or like food that we had, yeah. you know? And, and, and I think it's sad because like you see these people and like, Oh, like all the members will be like that. All the members will be like the missionaries, you know, but like, mm-hmm. it's definitely not the case. That's really too bad. Cause the church has a lot of resources to help people get on track. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes uh, at least in, in Canada or the U S can find people whose lives are seriously off track. They come to church and uh, they go to the ward welfare and they, they connect with the welfare specialists to mm-hmm. get a better job. Like those things do happen. Um, yeah. 
but it's unfortunate that the church doesn't, I guess, harness that to help a lot more people. Cause it, I think the church seriously could do some good, um, mm -hmm. to help people in developing countries really get on their feet in a serious way. Yeah, they definitely could. They had the resources. Like I know the church has a lot of resources, so it, it, I think that would have been really cool to see that happen. Unfortunately, I never saw it. Um, so while, while I was on my mission, we had like that COVID outbreak. So they sent all the mission missionaries to buy like a bunch of food. Like I think it was like two months worth of food. And oh so it, it was a lot of food. Like it, and it was, it was, it was even just scary walking around with that much food because a lot of people yeah. were freaking out. And then they were sending all the Americans home and they're like kind of, and everyone's leaving their apartments and they're like, what do we do with the food? They're like, just leave in the apartment. It's the churches. We'll come pick it up. And I was like, I'm not doing that. So I literally just gave all the food out to people. Yeah. Who it. Good for you. Good for you. So you came home in March, 2020. Mm -hmm. So I left. So, yeah. 28 January, 2018, then came yeah. back home March, 2020 because it, they're like, Oh, well it's COVID. You don't know what's going to happen. And then, mm -hmm. They wanted me to go back out again, but I was like, um, you couldn't pay me enough to go back out, you know? Yeah. Like, I enjoyed my mission, but I was like, I'm not going back. And it wasn't Columbia. It wasn't even Columbia. It was like, you're going to go to like Reno, Nevada. I'm like, I'm not going. Oh, back. yeah, yeah. So, but, but I think like, like out of all the things on like my mission, I think that's like what I had. Like, that's probably the best thing I ever did was give out all that food because I gave it to mm -hmm. people who really needed it. And I was like, yeah. I wish that like the church could do more stuff like this instead of like having people like just do charity work. Don't try to give like, I don't know, like convert people, just try to help people out that need it and don't look for anything back. That's what Jesus would have done. I feel like, but I don't know. That's very the, I think the church has a lot of power. They could build a lot of schools. I think they could really teach and educate people. I think they try to like with the perpetual education fund and stuff like that. But I just mean like good high schools, they could build good high schools. They could build a, a soup kitchens in some of these developing countries. They could start feeding people. Um, I don't think they do as much as what they could mm -hmm. for sure. They don't, um, which is unfortunate. Yeah, it is unfortunate. Where, where did you go again? England. England. Yeah. Oh, so wow. We didn't, yeah. And so it was the Manchester mission. So it was Northwest England. No so way. It's, Northwest like, England's not as, not as rich as Southern England. So I, uh, definitely not as poor as South America or Colombia, but definitely dealing with a lot of poor people. Oh yeah. Yeah. My brother and went there. <laughs> Manchester or which? Manchester. Yeah. What year did he serve? Ooh, the, um, 20, I think 2011, 2012. Okay. All right. I was there uh, 20, 2006, 2008. Well, that, that's funny because my my dad and I were huge like Manchester United fans like ever since I can remember. So that's cool that you yeah. – that's like my dream to go to Manchester. <laughs> I never actually served in Manchester. Like I saw it on the day I arrived and I saw Manchester on the day I left. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, I was usually out in the sticks and the boonies. Um but definitely there were a lot of people that we tracked into and it, and you talk to them for an hour or whatever. And it was like, you need a social worker before you need the church. Like you've got a lot of problems just getting through life and the church can't help you with those problems. <laughs> problems. Yeah. 
honestly. And, and, and I think that's what, like, I think missions are really complicated because like in a way they're good, but in a way they're really bad, you know, Mm -hmm. like in a way, like you can see why it could be good, but like the approach needs to be very different because you have these elders that are like, well, I'm here to baptize. It's all about numbers. And it gets so like weird and ugly like that. I remember there was this one time when we had this um, 70 come and visit us. And like, I think his talk like led, it was one of the leading factors to me like leaving because it was like a business meeting. It felt horrible. Yeah. The only thing he talked about was numbers. It was like, you guys need to baptize more. And it was like, it was like a huge corporate business meeting. And like, we're talking about people that like, we're talking about people like they have names, you know? Mm-hmm. And I remember there was this one guy telling me, he's like, honestly, I'm leaving the church. Like he said it to me on his mission. He's like, that was the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. Right. Do you have any kind of details on it? Was it just like looking at graphs and yeah, mm-hmm. he um, right. so this is what he did. So our last so I had two mission presidents. Our last mission president was like a very church like numbers, like baptize them doesn't matter force the church on them, you know, like just drag them to church if you have to. Yeah. Uh, my next mission president was more like, honestly, guys, like, just be kind, be good examples. Like it don't don't worry about getting baptisms. He's like, it, that's not a big deal. Like you're mm-hmm. here to help people. That's you shouldn't that's all you need to worry about. Yeah. So um, this guy came in and he was saying like he he put a bunch of graphs on the board and he's like, we're going to look at these numbers. He's like, look, they used to be good. Now they're shit. Why are they shit? Like, why are they bad? And then all the elders would kind of like defend this position. He's like, no, you're you're you guys just suck now. You're not doing as good of a job. You need to like get these numbers back up. And it was like so like it was horrible. Mm-hmm. It was it was like a business corporate business meeting. It was terrible. Do you, I um so because I was so col- corporately unaware, I guess like I'd only worked kind of odd jobs, um or like minimum wage jobs before my mission. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until after I'd finished university and started getting some corporate jobs where I was like, oh, this feels a lot like my mission. Why did my mission feel like this corporate rah rah meeting? This is a little weird, right? And then I, and then uh as I started working with sales managers and starting to understand like a, a CRM, have you heard of a CRM? Mm-hmm. You, so customer resource management or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, Oh, I what, like the area book and the progress reports and all those things I was filling out as a missionary were I was keeping a paper and pencil CRM. Yeah. And like, oh, this is really like, I know people said like a mission is like sales, but I never thought of it that way. I just thought it was the Lord's program for uh, growing his church. And then it was when I started working with salespeople and understanding how, how sales teams get managed as like, oh, this is a little uncomfortable. Like, yeah. this, is, this is a little weird. Um, yeah. So I can definitely understand that. Mm-hmm. I know I did. I served in one ward where. They had a member of the bishopric. He was a convert and he was a kind of corporate bigwig. He was a successful kind of business person. And I remembered looking at the mission plan and the mission plan, ward mission plan was like super corporate. Mm-hmm. And it made me feel uncomfortable. Like really, I think in the meeting, I was yeah. like, what the hell is this? Thing? This isn't what a ward mission, plan. this is like a corporate memo. But, and they were kind of looking at me like, who, why are you getting so freaked out over this? We're just trying to do our best here. Um, yeah. It's really weird. The, and there's other things like I didn't really ever think about either. 
because I think there was this one time, like, we're teaching these people, and they're, like, encouraging us to show them pictures of, like, the prophet and all this stuff. So, like, we would show them, like, pictures of, like, all the apostles, and they're, like, they're all white. <laughs> and we're, like, yeah. And, and, and they're, like, are they all American? We're, like, yeah. They're, like, is this a global global church? Like, yeah. Like, you sure? I'm, like, that's a good question. We've got a black guy somewhere. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, there's a black guy. If you go of- – Far enough down through the area seventies, like I think there's a black guy in there. Yeah, I think there's a one black guy in there. Yeah, so I remember. I remember like we would get like we we would get to the point where like where you're kind of like not nah, I don't know how to put it like you kind of get to the end of the lessons like kind of in order and then you kind mm-hmm. of like realize like you kind of are like this is really weird and like they're really not going to understand any of this and they probably won't ever will because it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you said you kind of start off with, like the normal stuff like Joseph Smith like okay like whatever scriptures cool then you get to like we don't drink coffee why we don't know we don't drink why we don't really know why okay you know what i mean like it just gets like like the church is smart because like they'll have them like kind of go into like a normal glorified like this is awesome then it gets like mm-hmm. the gritty and you're like this is weird yeah and people would realize that and leave and i'm like good you know like i'm glad yeah. Do you know, that should have been a sign for me because I remember even as a missionary, I was like, these people seem kind of happy. I don't really see how Mormonism is going to make them better. <laughs> and I even remember we were, we had a, a young man in one of the wards we were in and his friend kept asking to meet with the missionaries. And, it, and his friend was like, why do you want to meet with the missionaries? Like, you don't know anything about the church. Don't you know about all the rules? And, that was kind of this member's first reaction to somebody wanting to learn about the church was like, no, you don't. It's just a bunch of rules. <laughs> yeah, really? So like coffee in Columbia, cause I, like that's coffee country, isn't it? Totally. Yeah. A lot of coffee beans there. So is coffee a big part of the culture there? Drinking yeah, everything. Coffee? Yeah. Everything, you know, like everything that the church is for is like the opposite. I mean, I mean, Columbia is a very like sexual, um, you know, people drink a lot on the weekends, like every Sunday, that's people go crazy. And coffee is like every single part of the day, you know? Right. So it's like very, so it's like, it's almost impossible. And you're like trying to tell these people that like coffee is a bad thing. They're like, mm, nah, you know what I mean? Yeah. So like the people that would end up joining a church with the people who never even drank coffee anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Like the handful of people who never like, but once you got down to the nitty gritty, because you know, Columbia. At least I will say this about Columbia: it's very religious. Every almost everyone's Christian. Like I think ninety five percent of the people there are very Christian, and there's like so many different types of churches there. So it's very easy for someone to go up and be like, "Oh, this is a church about Jesus Christ and God." But then you kind of get to the nitty gritty of it. Like we're talking about the Book of Mormon, and. They're like, oh, like a book in America is cool. But then you start talking about Joseph Smith and the kind of the history of the church and all like the little commandments. They're like, Mm -hmm. what? That's weird. Mm -hmm. Like you can't masturbate. You can't have sex. You can't do this. They're like, why? Like, yeah, just you're not a pure. They're like, okay, that's weird. Yeah. And then it's like, why? Okay, I'm just going to keep going to my own church. Because it doesn't have as many stupid rules as yours does. I don't care if you say yours is true. Which is like like the question of what church is true. That's like a 19th century question. Yeah. like that, And that was a weird thing for me as a missionary was starting to talk to other uh, Christians and them not really caring what denomination <laughs> a Christian was associated with as long as they profess Jesus as a savior. 
They were like, I don't really care if you go to Anglican church, Lutheran church, the evangelical brotherhood, whatever. As long as you say that Jesus Christ is a savior and that he redeems you from your sins, then you're all good in my books. And I was like, but don't you care about which denomination is true? And they were like, as long as you believe in Jesus, you are following the true one. I'm like, but which one is true? And they're like, it's not a relevant question. It's not mm -hmm. a question anybody asks. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not a thing. Like, why is that like people try to make a bigger deal than it is? Yeah. And at least for me, I really try not to talk about like Joseph Smith a lot because like my mom was smart and she grew up always telling me, like, honestly, like the Book of Mormon really isn't a real book. Like it's like it's a work of fiction. Like, like my mom like, would say that to me. I'd be like, that's bold. <laughs> you know, that's very bold for someone in her position. So I, I really never really tried to talk. I never like in my testimonies growing up ever talked about him. I never was like Joseph Smith was a prophet. So and I remember people like telling me about that. Like you need to testify more about Joseph Smith. I'm like, um, I feel like there's more to the church than just that. So I really tried to avoid talking about him. But other a lot of other people would just focus on that. And it was just always it would weird people out. They're like the white man in New York. <laughs> Like it's weird. It's just weird. Yeah, right. I can say like for English people, um, it for the English it wasn't as weird mm -hmm. to have a white prophet in in New England. Really, yeah. uh, to them it was you know it's it's a the Joseph Smith story is kind of a spiritual cousin in a way, right? It's. It's white people in frontier America, which was basically English at that time. You know, we're only talking 50 years since the, the war of independence. Um, and so a lot of evangelical Baptist movements that were evolving in the U S were also evolving in, in the UK at the same time. Uh, Mormonism has a lot of ties to Methodism and, and Methodism was a semi-dominant religion in the UK. So it wasn't super weird, but I can mm -hmm. imagine when you're talking to a bunch of Lamanites in Columbia, that it's like, who gives a fuck about this guy, right? Yeah. I think people are more gravitated toward like the Book of Mormon. It's like, this is in the continent of the Americas. They're like, oh, mm -hmm. cool. But then if they read it, they're like, like no one really ever read it. You know, they just be like, <laughs> we just showed them like the Moroni, like the cool, like inspirational verses. But like yeah. if one of them actually took the time to read it and was like, they were black and cursed. And they're like, what? Yeah. But don't worry. If you come to our church, you'll become white. Yeah. That's what the book says. <laughs> so, yeah, I always thought that was weird when we would talk about Joseph Smith. Like, wait, what? So how did your church get founded? We're like, um, it's Jesus who founded it, but G Joseph Smith fought it back. They're like, what? <laughs> right. Yeah. So what kinds of people did you find would be interested in the church? Like, was it people who loved America and wished they were American? <laughs> Yeah, there were some people for sure. They're like, I can't, I want to get my education in America. Because I know a lot of the members were like that. Like, I'm moving to America. But yeah. um, the people that I found, I think there were people who just really needed a place and a family and a community. Mm -hmm. um, like, there's this one girl, like, super, super kind. I think she was 17. And so um, she, she had a kid that was already, like, 18 months. And I think... So her dad, which wasn't her real dad, basically used her as like a prostitute until she got like pregnant. So like those were the type of people that we'd be teaching, you know, and those were the people that would convert the people who had been hurt, like who had been hurt so, so bad. And like they finally 
meet these people who are like, it doesn't matter like what happened in your life. Like you can, it's really not that big of a deal. Like Jesus Christ can like wash your sins away, you know? So it was always people like that. People who always had like a really bad past, mm -hmm. well, bad past. And then they would just kind of convert. But like, it was almost kind of like a false thing. Cause they're like, Oh, like maybe all the members will be as nice as the missionaries were. And, like, it'll always be like this. Like, I always will get this much attention. But we mm -hmm. both realize that once the missionary leaves, it's over. Yeah. So it, th those are the type of people that were always drawn to a church, you know, people who really need help. And, you know, you mm -hmm. give them, you give people a message of hope, they're going to believe it. Yeah. I can say similar thing uh, for my mission. Definitely. Uh, it was usually people are looking for help. And if you had the right ward who, with a lot of people who would, who would be looking to help, then it was good. If you had a ward that was just like elders, we don't need another burden. Like it was tough. Yeah. Um, for sure. Uh, any positive experiences from your mission? Yeah, there was. Um, I, I, I would say I had a lot of positive experiences. I think what, let's say besides, I think what the best thing was um, appreciating culture and I think mm -hmm. learning Spanish, like, because that was like, it was almost embarrassing because like all my, my parents always spoke Spanish. I understood it, but I couldn't ever really speak it. Yeah. So it was cool to learn that language. There was this cool story though that I'm proud of. So, because there was this one girl and she lived with like her, she was living with her boyfriend, but he would always be gone. So I remember we would like talk to her and we'd be like, well, we can get baptized and all this stuff. And our, the bishop was like, she's not getting baptized. She's a sinner and all this stuff. And our mission president like kind of talked to him and was like, "Hey, like honestly, it's not that big of a deal. Like she can get baptized because like I think she's gonna break up with her boyfriend anyway." Mm -hmm. But um, so I'm pretty sure she got baptized because, but um, but that was cool because like I never heard that like someone that lives with their boyfriend getting baptized <laughs> like that was crazy. Mm -hmm. I was like, "Wow, that's weird." <laughs> but um, I don't know if she's active or not still, but it, 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 it was like I want people to like know that there are some normal people in the church, but at the same time, it's like, it's not really just find your own piece of it. You know what I mean? Do what you want to mm -hmm. do with it. But I would say my mission was a positive experience, but it also definitely helped me realize that there's a bunch of sketchy, weird stuff too, that it opened my eyes. What did it like? How did it open your eyes up the most? What was most eye opening? that some, the church will choose what they want to hide and what they don't want to hide. Yeah. I think that can be, I know I had, like I had a friend who served in Ghana and similar kinds of things. He said there were like zone leaders in APs that were just pulling the wool over the mission president's eyes. And they were out like sleeping with women and getting abortions yeah. and, and they were the mission leaders. And, and he just, he couldn't believe that the church could run that way. Mm-hmm. And then he came home and basically like lost his testimony over the next year after yeah. coming home. Yeah. It's the same thing. It, it just, it, I think that's nothing. I would open my eyes to like the church will be racist in a country where it's like not supposed to be racist. Like all, all the leaders were American. All the trainers were American. All the Americans got special treatment. All the Latinos were like, Oh, you're fine. You're, you don't need any of this stuff. And mm -hmm. Like it, it almost felt whenever there was like a Latino leader, it was like it, it was like the church had to meet their POC quota, you know, their personal. Right, right. I'm like, color we're color. in Colombia, like we're mm -hmm. we're we're the we're we're the immigrants here, you know. 
Like, how would we already take over? <laughs> Which is, that's interesting. I know, like, my mission president, I, like, I didn't get to know him very well, and I don't really care for him, but I will say I do have a, a bunch of respect for him because he had a bunch of kind of, he was a very common sense kind of guy. And if anybody kind of got too emotional or a little weird at, like, bearing testimonies in zone conference, he'd be a little dismissive of that. He's very much just kind of a practical down-to-earth guy. He told us, like, do not get married within your first six months of coming home. Probably don't get married within your first year of coming home. Uh, like, gave us very practical advice. And then he, we had a lot of missionaries in our mission from other parts of Europe, so Germany, uh, Sweden, Norway. And it was almost like those missionaries from from parts of the world where the church was less strong almost got prioritized into mission leadership. Mm. And it was never said, but it, the way it seemed was the mission president wanted to help them learn how the church should run mm -hmm. so that when they went home from their missions, they could strengthen the church. Oh in, yeah. Of course. You know what I mean? Yeah. Of um, course. So, I mean, just by sheer numbers, yeah, most of the mission leaders tended to be from Utah, Arizona, because most of the missionaries were, but I'd say almost every like kind of German, Scandinavian, Spanish, Italian missionary mm -hmm. got put into some kind of their district leaders own leader or AP. Mm -hmm. So, you know, cool. it'd be like 10% of, let's say 10% of Utah missionaries were in leadership and like 90% of, of European missionaries were put into leadership. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's cool. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's so that's why I'd have respect for him, even though I didn't really get to know him. I'd say he's kind of common sense. Yeah, that's um, good. I, I can definitely see where you're coming from on, like, yeah, just putting all Americans into everything, and I'll stick with the people I know and understand instead of these weirdos from Central America, right? <laughs> yeah, and I I just remember like the mission president's wife. Obviously, mm -hmm. the second one because she was American. She 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 only talked to like Americans and only in English. Yeah. And like she she talked to the sisters that knew English. Yeah. And, it, and it always made me laugh when like when all the Americans had to go home because I'm pretty sure everyone in the office because our mission was weird in the office. They're like normal elders, so they all had to go home. So I'm like, yeah, that, that's what you deserve. Now you have to learn Spanish, right? <laughs> I can imagine like for a mission president's wife, it's a terrible experience. Oh, it's horrible. Because it's like, like you don't, it's all about your husband's aggrandizement, right? And your it's all, your husband's the one getting all the glory for you. Like you got to tag along to some, you know, third world, second world country, not do, not be around your grandkids, not what you want to be doing in retirement, just tagging along because your husband's a mission president. Yeah. So, and then you, I, and then you deal I can't with always blame him. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, and then you ahead. deal with kids who are like, I, I threw up. What do I do? You know? Like, yeah. And I, yeah, I had diarrhea. And it's <laughs> like, I want to be with my grandkids. I don't want to be eating beans and rice in Colombia and talking to a bunch of people I don't understand. Like, I don't, I don't necessarily blame your mission president's wife for yeah. not throwing herself into it. Oh, yeah. No, know? not at all. I mean, like, I mean, think about it. Like, when you're at that point in life, you don't want to be doing that. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Want to be home. Yeah. Being with your grandkids, like enjoying your retirement. Yeah. Going to Arizona and playing golf or whatever old people do. You don't yeah. want to be in Colombia 
answering white kids' questions about diarrhea and puke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah, it's weird. If um, if I if I ever have kids, I'll, I'll be like you. If you want to, I remember I was talking to someone. They're like, I was thinking about going to mission, but it, I realized I was only going just so I could experience a new culture and learn a new language. I'm like, if that's the only reason why you want to go, then don't go. There's better ways to do that. There's way better ways to do that. Yeah, there's exchange we, programs like you can just save money and travel. Yeah, there's like volunteer things that are way cheaper. And then a mission, you only go for a couple months. They try to get you to learn the language and you actually just help people, you know? And Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But I'm definitely like, I know the, ch- the church has good values. You know, like, if, I, I like, I like that they focus on family and, you know, like forgiveness is a good thing, but like, I just don't, I, I can, I can never bring myself to like tell my kids, you need to go on a mission. Like mm-hmm. you're not going to be a, a worthy priesthood holder. <laughs> you make me a worthy man. Yeah. I, <laughs> I agree. Do you, I will say, so my dad has a terminal cancer and, um, and I don't know how I've talked about it a bit on the podcast. Um, but me and my dad had a very frank conversation, um, while he was going through treatment. And I just said, dad, like I, <laughs> if you're going to die in the next five years. Like I got to know, are you, completely disappointed that I don't go to church anymore or not. Like I got to know. And he said, not at all. Um, Love you just the way you are. And the other thing he said was, my dad's never really said, sorry. He comes from that kind of generation where you just, men don't apologize to their kids. Yep. But he said, um, he said, son, if I could do it all over again, I would have helped you become the best you that you could be instead of trying to make you be what I wanted you to be. Mm. And, and I took that as him saying, I'm sorry, I made you go on a mission <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you obviously didn't want to go. And it obviously wasn't a good experience for you. Um, but I, like I was grateful for that uh, conversation that I had with my dad about that. Um, just him reflecting on what is the end of his life now. And, uh, yeah. Um, but even raising my own kid, the, the flip side of that though, that I'll say is that my dad did instill with me a sense of manliness and, a, a an ideal of something to become. And I know we talk, the world talks a lot about toxic masculinity and those kinds of things and, and how boys have so much pressure to not cry or whatever. And, my dad didn't necessarily do that, but he just instilled with me, I guess, uh, the idea that I should become something and that I should grow into something and I should take responsibility for myself mm-hmm. and for others, which is what we associate with kind of a classical masculine identity. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with instilling that with, with your daughters mm-hmm. or your sons. Just um, And so I, I've been working with my son on some things. He's only eight. Um, but just helping him to become more independent. And I said, son, you're going from boy to man now. And so you got to learn how to take care of certain things and take care of yourself. And I'm, I'm thankful for that idea that came from my dad. And I think part of that came from the church, the sense of growing and becoming a man and taking on responsibility and, mm-hmm. and becoming responsible for other people. I think the church takes it to a, a bad extreme. 
mm-hmm. um, but I'm still thankful for that idea at its core. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's crazy to think about too. Because like all, all I've known is like growing up in the church. So like it, it's almost like wait, what? How do I parent? It's like because my whole backup <laughs> plan was like you go to church, they teach you all these lessons, but then you think about it, you're <laughs> yeah. like. No, you need to take responsibility for what you're teaching your kids, you know, because I, yeah. I know so many people who like their their kids will go for like all these like crazy traumatic experiences. And it's like, who do I blame it on? Like my parents or the church? Like, it's just very confusing. It's like no one really wants to take responsibility. The church doesn't want to take responsibility for what happened. But the parents are like, well, it wasn't my fault. Was it like, should I not have sent them there? So it's just like, no, you need to take responsibility for how you parent. Mm-hmm. And, and and I want that challenge, you know. I yeah. don't want to want to have to put. I don't want to put it on something else to raise my kids. I want to put it on me. And I like that's something that that's a message I've heard from my parents. Um, is that when they reflect back it, more so on their so they had six kids. You know, it's almost like they had a batch of three, and then they parented the last three completely differently from the first three. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when they look back, a lot of what they say is we were just doing what the church told us to do. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why we parented you the way that we did. And then um, my brother, I'm the oldest and my brother is just younger than me, basically uh, went inactive in grade 10 and like was drinking alcohol on campus and stuff like that. So went inactive with a bit of flair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, it kind of made my parents think like what's really important cramming the church down our kids throat or, or maintaining a relationship with them. So that changed the way they parented the younger three. Um, but that's something they say is we were just doing what the church told us instead of really taking responsibility for how they parent their kids and choosing what they're going to teach their kids. They were just doing what the church told them to do. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the case of most parents. I know for sure that's the case of my parents. Like with my, because we had, we had a, so we were, we're four. So I think the mm-hmm. first two kids were parented completely different than me and my sister. Me and my sister were more free to do kind of whatever we wanted. Mm-hmm. So that, it, it, that happens where they're like, well, the church tells us to do this one thing. We realize that no one's really happy in this situation. Let's actually do what I kind of want to do. Mm-hmm. And usually it turns out better. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with you. So now that we've filled up the hour here, um, do you have any final thoughts or, or testimony you want to leave us with on uh, these mission stories? I guess I'll just bear my testimony and say that <laughs> there is uh, there is happiness without the church as much yeah. as that's hard to believe, especially for people who are like transition transitioning. It's like such a hard thing to believe. Like, is, like can I really be happy? Like, even like for me, I was like, like, what do I do now? But it's like, no, mm-hmm. you can do it. You can do it yourself. Like people need to hear that message. You can do it yourself. Yes. You can yeah, be happy about sure. the church. It's yeah. more people are happy about the church than they are with the church. I mean, look, I, mean, I think it's like less than 1% <laughs> of the world are members of the church. Like yeah. it's a tiny minority. And I'd say nobody's nobody's going on two-year missions to force people to leave the church. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> to compel. Yeah. But, but we've got to send people on two-year missions to force people to yeah. To, get in right people are banging on the doors to leave nobody's banging on the doors to get in yeah exactly and um yeah amen and please go check out norman's podcast if you want to hear more of myself i I don't really talk about this type of stuff but i do talk about just kind of worldly stuff so (laughs) right so that's norman's podcast and that's available on spotify right yes okay 
So is it got it? Is it just Norman's? It's it, it's called it's just the Nor- Norman's podcast. Yeah, Norman's, Norman's podcast. podcast. Yeah, nice. so me and my buddy Casey are on it, and we. It, it's it's what you expect two college kids talking about dumb shit it's a good time it's a good yeah time. definitely i have listened and i would uh yeah i definitely recommend it to anybody who just wants to listen to some commentary on uh music movies and pop culture really right yeah mm-hmm. yeah yep, that's awesome it. okay well thank you so much samuel the lamanite for uh descending from heaven to uh of give us some of your knowledge as always <laughs> yeah we say that in the name of joseph smith amen amen